And I think having a sense of humor about it is helpful. Because at the end of the day, it's a free font that I've made in a week, and we should all not take that too seriously. It's just, it's for fun. <laughs> hey, everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. Welcome to the weekly typographic. Our weekly episodes talk about type and design news, but we've got a bonus episode for you today. We're chatting with a designer that's innovating the field through education and their practice. It's going to be fun. Let's jump in. Hey, everyone. Today on the podcast, we have Libby Bischoff. Libby is a Santa Cruz-based type designer and the founder of Type Foundry, Type De Nord. In 2020, after graduating from the Type West program at the Letterform Archive, she began the 52 Fonts Project, where she committed to releasing a font on a weekly basis and documenting the process through an email newsletter. It began as a way to maintain her type design process, be kept accountable with an audience, and get into a type-making rhythm. And a year and change later, she's full of insights, which we're all going to hear today, and has published a zine that recaps the whole experience. So welcome, Libby. Hello. It's so great to have you here. Yeah, I'm so excited. It's going to be really fun. I've been bragging about how I'm going to talk to a type designer that made a font once a week for like a year. I've just, I've been telling everyone, I've been telling non-font people, I've been telling font really? people, I've been telling coworkers, and everyone's oh like, who goodness. is this? And I'm like, oh, let me just send you Libby Bischoff's page. Definitely oh got to check her out. So I've been so excited. That's so sweet. I'm so honored to be here. It's going to be really fun. And I just gave like a little brief recap of the 52 Fonts Project. But to start, I would love to hear a little bit about the creation of Type Du Nord because that is the all-encompassing foundry that the 52 Fonts Project was made under. Also, women-owned foundries. Let's do it. Let's go. <laughs> it's really still far in pubertine, which blows my mind. So it's crazy. So yes, yeah, tell us a little bit about the start of Type Du Nord and how you fell into the 52 Fonts Project. Yeah, I picked the name, got the LLC, did all that stuff. I think it was in 2018. But then I started to try to design fonts on my own without having been to type school yet. And I just, it, it dawned on me that there's so much to learn that I just didn't know. So then I put it on hold, but I like hung on to the name and everything and have been scheming for a long time. And then in the spring of 2019, I got laid off and I was living in Minneapolis at the time. And I was working at a graphic design job, just like a normal brand designer role. And I was looking around at new jobs and I was fine with doing that. But then my partner, Alex, and I were talking and I was like, we were both getting the itch to move somewhere else for a while. And I was like, you know, I still really want to go to type school. And I've been wanting to go since mid-college. So I was like, do you think that I could apply to Type West? And like, if I get in, we'll move. And if we don't, I'll just get a job and try again later or whatever. Mm. <laughs> I love that. So I ended up getting in. We ended up moving to San Francisco, which was, of course, a dream. It was just so cool. So then I went through the whole program and our program or our year was the one that COVID happened right in the middle. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it was, the middle of that program was a little bit of a shit show. And of course, it was nobody's fault or anything. But through all that and through all like the hard times of being in quarantine and living through that was like I just kept making type because it made me feel better to work on something. Mm -hmm. So being in the program was helpful for me at the time. I know that is not the case for everybody. But after the program was over, I was like, 
how do I keep making type and keep myself motivated? Because it's really daunting after you finish working on your one and only font to just open the Glyph software and just go again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then that's when my friend Tommy Sharp and I were talking about the Pipe Project, which is the one I based the 52 Fonts project off of. We were talking about that and I was thinking, I have all these ideas and I would love to experiment and I would love to learn, but I don't have enough motivation by myself to just do that for fun. And so then I was like, maybe it needs to be higher stakes. Maybe it needs to be like the Pipe Project where there's like an audience, there's like a built-in accountability. I thought about it for a couple weeks and I just kept stewing over it. Ultimately, I was like, I think I'm going for it. I think I gotta. I think I need to just get into it and force myself to learn how to be a type designer who works on type every single day. Yeah. And it definitely helped with that. (laughs) (laughs) I learned seriously so much. I don't know if I'd recommend it. For me, it was nice because I feel like I have to go all in and I'm somebody that if I say I'm going to do something, I got to do it or I'll feel like I failed. So yeah, here we are. (laughs) I just have so many questions about so much of the process. I saw on your Instagram, you recently posted a really brief diagram around how you scheduled your weeks when you were doing this. And I want to know how you scheduled your weeks and how you made yourself do the thing every day. (laughs) That's wild. I'm naturally a procrastinator. So giving myself only like five days to do something is good because then it's your pants are on fire. You got to do it. (laughs) You can't. You got to go for it. And I thought about it a lot before I started because I was afraid of getting burnt out from doing something so intense. So I kind of set up that schedule in advance where I was like, I'm only going to work on it Monday through Friday. And the release day is Friday because I don't want to spend my weekends doing it. I need to have a couple days off or I will immediately get sick of the project and not finish. And that was really helpful. I'm really glad I did that because coming up with an idea, thinking about it constantly, it wears on you. So having a set schedule and then I try not to work every day. I try to keep it from like a nine to five schedule so that I wasn't constantly working because I also was doing freelance work as well. Okay. I was wondering. Yeah. So you were working (laughs) and just designing like an absolute machine. Well, I would kind of segment it. So Monday was the idea day where I would get a test word done. And if I had a test word done, I felt good going into Tuesday, figuring out problem characters and things that are going to be troublesome. I would try to do that in the beginning. And usually if an idea wasn't working by the end of Monday or the first half of Tuesday, it was like, I got to abandon it and do something else, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which didn't happen that often. So then I would try to wrap the design work up by Wednesday end of day and Mm -hmm. into Thursday sometimes if it was really complicated so that Thursday could all be like designing specimen images and going through proofs and making sure it's all looking as good as it can in five Mm -hmm. days. And then I would document the process and write the email for Friday because I would would try to release it by like Friday morning, Mm -hmm. which can be a little tricky. (laughs) To document a whole process and make specimen images and still have like a halfway decent functioning font at the end of it. Did your workflow ever change throughout the whole 52 fonts? Some weeks were challenging because things would come up. For example, like if I went on vacation, then my schedule is not normal and I'm not, you know, don't have all my my whole setup like I normally would. Mm -hmm. So that would be tricky. And sometimes I would kind of prevent that by doing a couple ideas occasionally so that I have back burner concepts. Yep. 
that I can pull up. And then I had like a handful of things that I had started from like a long time ago that were good ideas, but hadn't been executed. Mm -hmm. So I was going to pull those in on weeks that I didn't have, you know, my normal open schedule. And of course, this was all happening while COVID was still ablaze. So I wasn't like going anywhere or doing anything typically. And that helped. I think now it would be a little bit harder. I mean, COVID's still happening, but you know what I mean? Yeah. It it was tricky. (laughs) Yeah. I'm really impressed by the structure that you gave yourself because like I think about designers in general, Mm -hmm. draft designers. We all have like a little bit of perfectionism inside of us and want to just finesse the goddamn shit out of everything. So like, (laughs) was that ever like a barrier for you or is that something you learned to overcome early on? I feel like you you just didn't give yourself time to mull over it. And is that why it worked? Your timelines just didn't allow for it? Yeah. I mean, I didn't really have a choice. And there are a handful that I don't love and that in my eyes are unsuccessful and like not necessarily in a bad way. A lot of times I'd have to compromise on making something that had a lot of, I'd have to compromise on things that had like a lot of curves or a lot of details and things that need a lot of finessing. So Mm -hmm. I would try to avoid anything overly complicated in the weeks that I didn't do that became kind of a struggle. I learned that on the first week, actually. The very first font, I only got the lowercase done and like a couple punctuation marks because I tried something really ambitious for week one, which is just so typical. (laughs) (laughs) And um, in that, I think I learned the lesson right away. There are going to be a lot of these that feel unresolved, but even fonts that you've spent and like typefaces that you've spent six months on still can feel unresolved. So it's like, it's just part of the gig, I guess. Yeah. But I would try to make them the highest quality that I could possibly put out in that time frame. I would definitely be honest in my newsletter of like, I love this one, but S and like lowercase t are atrocious. Don't even look at those ones. Yeah. (laughs) Or Q is like, not right, but we're all just going to ignore it. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. And I think having a sense of humor about it is helpful. Because at the end of the day, it's like, it's a free font that I've made in a week and we should all not take that too seriously. It's just, it's for fun. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Did you ever go back and revisit some of your fonts? Did you finish or build out some of them some weeks? Yeah, some of them, um, some of them would come back and I would do like another style or another weight, um, especially for some that were really heavily downloaded I would kind of take that as a sign of like, people want more of this and maybe I should try the italic. And, and that was always fun because then I don't have to come up with a new concept, but I get like a new challenge of finessing the original and then adding to it. Yeah. And some of them that were just a cap set would get a lowercase a couple weeks later, but that's, is mostly just to obviously be able to work on something a little bit longer and then also make it more usable for whoever is downloading it. That's fair. Yeah. What would you say when you started this project or any project, we all have like expectations for a process and how things are going to unfold and maybe how we'll feel at certain steps of the process, whether it's emotional or whether that's like literal tangible executions. Mm -hmm. What surprised you the most about the whole process? I mean, it was a year long. You had, I'm assuming there was ups and downs and there, (laughs) there was all sorts of stuff. So what would you say you learned from the project or you experienced in the project that would surprise Libby in 2020? The thing that surprised me the most wasn't the amount of work necessarily, but 
somehow I allowed myself to have fun with it and not take it too seriously. And I think that the the weeks that I would struggle and it would come across like in my writing, I would get nice messages from people. And that's not to brag, but it was always just like kind of surprising because I always felt like, oh my God, I'm letting everyone down. They're going to be so disappointed with this week. I'm so bummed. And then I would like make a comment in the newsletter and people would be like, oh my God, no, you're killing it. Keep it up. So it was things like that. And it made me realize that the type design community is just like a really special one. And it's not like the graphic design community is obviously just bigger and more competitive and less friendly. Whereas like the type community is so small and people that love type are just like generally really nice people. <laughs> I don't know why that was surprising because I feel like everybody I've met in this community has been really nice, but just to like have it reflected back from strangers was just so sweet. Yeah, you spearheaded the 52 Fonts project, but it'd be impossible to talk about the project without talking about the community that you fostered mm -hmm. through it. I always find that so interesting because it took me a long time to realize on the podcast, we have our own community too. And it, you know, you kind of forget about it because you're like, oh, I'm just talking into the void. You know, I'm just mm -hmm. sending off the thoughts and the content. But it's amazing to see other people taking it in and appreciating it. And I mean, you were making a font every week. So it was something where people could literally take something you were noodling on for five days and use it in a project and totally enjoy it. And then also see your commitment to a project was so incredibly inspiring. And I'm sure you're going to be inspiring so many more young designers in the future that want to commit and want to do it. And it's so impressive. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it is. It's really exciting. I mean, I guess you were surprised a little bit about how much the community rallied behind you, but were there people in your community that you were surprised showed up? Was there anything that you learned? Did, did someone give you some advice while you were doing it at some point that you thought was extra meaningful or anything like that? I think I was just surprised that it wasn't my five closest friends that were cheering me on. It was other people that don't actually know me personally and have no personal stake in this situation. Yeah. <laughs> and it just always caught me off guard. I wanted to continue and I've been thinking about this a lot. I want to keep the conversation going. But now that I'm transitioning into having a fully functioning type foundry and all of that, it's going to be a little bit harder because it's not going to be this like immediate, ongoing, year-long conversation. So I have been thinking about this a lot, but I think since I started this way, it won't be too difficult, I hope. But mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely the most special part of the entire project was just having people actually care about it and be so supportive. It was just very heartwarming. You said some great stuff about the type community in general. Something I've learned through the podcast too is just how generous everyone is with sharing their time and sharing their thoughts and sharing their encouragement. If we think about the acting industry, just zooming out here, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of actors out there and it's mm -hmm. probably really hard for the community theater actors to meet the Hollywood actors. And, you know, thinking about that as an industry, but you think about type design, because we're just such a small knit group of nerds, you can access people that are doing some really, really cool work, some of the best work that's coming mm -hmm. out and access their advice and their thoughts and them as people. And it's like, oh, it's so exciting. I'm sure you had a taste of that. You probably had all sorts of people watching and following along, which is so exciting. Yeah, there were a couple pretty established type designers who were actively following along. And I was like, can you not look at this? <laughs> You're like, don't look. <laughs> You're making me stressed. <laughs> of course not actually, but... Yeah. And I wouldn't really look, but I can definitely see who opens the email. Like Substack gives subscribers a rating or whatever. Mm -hmm. 
I was always too afraid to actually look and see who was reading it because <laughs> then maybe I'd be too scared to go on. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I understand. The type design, just sometimes I'm like, oh my God, I have such a crush on their work. Like, I don't mm-hmm. look at me over here. Don't look. I'm yeah. <laughs> not, not doing anything. <laughs> don't look. <laughs> exactly. No, I've, I've totally been in your shoes. Honestly, part of starting a project and just in making it successful is just doing it and just leaping into it and being like, mm-hmm. people that I admire might see work that maybe isn't the best work I've ever made ever. But I think it matters so much more that it's just like you're consistently putting effort towards something. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that I set it up in a way where I definitely communicated that I'm still learning and I'm experimenting and this isn't going to be some polished, really fancy thing. It's just me trying to continue where I left off at Type West. So I think that was good too, because I'd never felt this has to be like a four style family and have all these extra characters or anything. So, and I I would try to write it. I would try to write the newsletter in an approachable way because I realized that a lot of graphic designers who maybe love typography, maybe don't know all the vocab and like don't know all the ins and outs. And so I would try to... um, use plain English when talking about things so that everybody can kind of follow along and not feel like, oh my god, I don't know anything about type. Because some of it, it should be taken seriously, but when the audience isn't 100% type designers, like it shouldn't be written for type designers. Yeah, no, that's um, huge. That's yeah, that's huge. I mean, the accessibility and in general, type design for so many decades was just so gatekept. And it was just like, yeah, oh, you want to know about type design? Okay, do you want to like spend thousands of dollars and either move to across seas to exactly. go to The Hague or like, exactly. I mean, there is options on the coasts of the United States now. And those are like, mm-hmm. relatively new and the speaking of all of type design academic history. And mm-hmm. but there's actually nothing in the Midwest. I mean, we're both from the Midwest, we found out earlier. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that's why I had to move because there wasn't even online programs yet. So it was basically California, New York or go abroad, which is that's such a barrier to entry for so many people. And for myself included, it was really scary. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. Going from Minneapolis to San Francisco was like, whoo, (laughs) that was a lot. (laughs) No, you got to give yourself credit because that's freaking huge and in pursuit of passion of type. (laughs) It's <laughs> very noble, noble cause and move. I love it. Thank you. So you mentioned you were interested in type design even when you were in college. Were you were you teaching yourself type at all, like before Type West started? I was certainly attempting to. I was in college during the beginning of Jessica Hish's the popular part of her career and mean still is but when she was just starting to blow up when she was doing like daily drop cap and all of that and I think lettering was my gateway drug into fonts and mm-hmm. type design so I would just find excuses to make fonts in college and they were all absolutely atrocious but it was still really fun I had a type design class but my university was really small and their mm-hmm. graphic design program was even smaller. It was really good, but they didn't have like a type designer on staff to teach us. So it was definitely a pretty scrappy situation, but mm-hmm. I loved it and I kept tinkering with it. And actually I, f- there was a workshop I took, um, I think the summer after I graduated college in, in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, which is a tiny town. Stuart from Font Diner is based there. And so he led like a intro to glyphs 
workshop that I took one weekend. Um, and then that was like, oh my God, I got to do this. This is amazing. And then after that, I realized that if I want to really, really learn, and I personally learn best in a classroom environment, then I got to go to one of the schools. I got to move to San Francisco or New York and just really do it. Yeah, that's the commitment that so many people make. And so you mentioned you were graphic design before. Just out of curiosity these days, are you doing some graphic design, some type design? Has there been like a transitionary several years where you were doing mostly graphic design? Now you're doing mostly type design. Or do you do type design in the evenings and graphic design (laughs) in the day? I always want to know. Right now, it's a healthy mix. I'm still taking on graphic design and branding projects. Because I still find them fun and interesting, but 50% of my time is dedicated to paid freelance work. And then the other 50% is like, how do I start a type foundry? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So hopefully it'll like balance out or become more type focused later, but it's just easier to get graphic design gigs. Type design ones come occasionally, but I can still use that knowledge when designing logos and things like that. Absolutely. Um, So I still think it counts, but yeah, yeah, hopefully in the future... It's more type focused, but I'm pretty happy with the balance that I have right now. Yeah. It's very rare for someone to be like, I was fully a graphic designer. Now I'm fully a type designer. Yeah. (laughs) That never happens. With all of that said, what's in store for the future of Type Du Nord? What hopes and dreams you hope to fulfill? What kind of foundry do you want to run with moving forward now that the 52 Fonts project is over? Give us the 411. Obviously, the goal is to have it have it become an established type foundry with some kind of home on the internet, like a website, <laughs> and a place where people can conveniently buy these fonts. The thing I'm struggling with right now is trying to decide how I want to release things, because since I started in an unconventional way, I feel like it wouldn't be weird for me to continue in an unconventional way, whether that's like having some kind of monthly cadence like Font of the Month Club or just releasing them as they're finished, Mm -hmm. like I think most type foundries do, or having a mix of a lot of things. Like I've thought about open source fonts a lot. Some of the things that I've started could live on in an interesting way like that because they're not all going to be finished. Mm -hmm. But then the ones I do really love and the ones that people responded to, I would like to become fully fleshed out things. And I guess to fully answer your question, I want to continue to have fun with it and to have it be like a positive and fun thing Mm -hmm. and to have some kind of community around it and making weird stuff. I think I just like, I like it to be weird. Yeah. (laughs) As type designers, we're all bringing our own perspective to the table. And I think for a long Mm -hmm. time, that wasn't necessarily celebrated. Like people wanted type designers to be like super good at the craft and know the rules and all Mm -hmm. of that but I think in recent years we're like fuck the rules a little bit because they're all like designed Mm -hmm. by these western eurocentric standards there's other things that are existing and are cool and when people actually do put their own spin on it we're getting like a better library of fonts to use because everyone's inspired by their own thing I even think being like your process is super inspiring for someone else to see wow, someone started this foundry and this is how they're using this platform. Mm-hmm. That in itself is valuable. Even the zine that you made for the 52 Fonts project, like that's educational for people that are like, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, this? I mean, I would love knowledge sharing at some capacity to always be part of it because, mm-hmm. and not that I'm going to like write the handbook on how to be a type designer or anything, but when I was in college, type design was like not really a thing that people knew that you could do. And so mm-hmm. there was, if you Googled it, there was very limited amounts of information. It was very like, you kind of had to suss out all the info by digging pretty far Mm -hmm. (laughs) into the internet and even still that's not that amazing and it's gotten a lot better but I would love to be able to just share what I know and at least be helpful in that way that makes it a lot easier and it makes it seem a lot less intimidating yeah absolutely I feel like that is hopes and dreams for the future of the industry as a whole I think a lot of us have is like okay there's people that are learning in more un- unconventional ways or people that are distributing information in more unconventional ways how can we get more people in the conversation and hold more people in which is great so I know like typed Nord is the main project is the 52 fonts project but it is a foundry and I do like to state that and celebrate that because <laughs> thank you I know you're waiting for a website home and all of that but I just think that's really inspiring and just want to make sure it's known even though I know you have hopes and dreams that are are <laughs> yes. broad reaching I know I need to remind myself that I was still actually releasing things and that it was functional, just maybe not in a traditional way. And that's okay. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, so with that in mind, what is your one piece of advice that you wish you knew when you first started the Foundry? This is something I need to remind myself of every single day. I didn't really realize how much courage it takes to just like put yourself out there and do something as weird and unusual as starting a tight Foundry. Because even just explaining it to people, relatives or people not really in the industry, I just get so many blank stares of like, what? Yeah. And then you have to consistently put yourself out there to make it work. And that's really scary. Like that doesn't, that most type designers don't like that. We're all very like shy and love to live behind our computers. (laughs) I knew it was going to be a challenge, but I didn't really quite realize how intense and like personal it feels, but also just like a really specific creative business mm-hmm. that I didn't even really know was a thing until like I was a senior in college. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, please. I just like stop telling people I help run a foundry because I'm just, then someone's like, well, what's a foundry? And I'm like, okay, okay. I so know. you know, we'll start like, you know how people make fonts and they're people like, people still make fonts? And I was like, oh, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> I know it's always like, well, aren't there enough? And it's like, no, 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 no. (laughs) Even to be like, I own a foundry. I feel like that is a courageous statement when you're talking to people (laughs) that aren't in the graphic design world. Yeah, it takes some courage for sure. I had an uncle, and this is just a funny tidbit. Before I went to Type West, right before I moved away, my mom threw like a little going away party. And I had an uncle that thought that I was going to typing school like to become a professional person that types and I was like nope (laughs) nope I'm gonna be making the letters wow that is something it was so funny that's incredible really it cracks me up to this day (laughs) I always love like hearing the outsider perspective on it's like people can do that as as a job people are getting trained to do that and are doing that it's like oh yeah yeah Yeah, there are established institutions where you can learn right (laughs) I want to know what the background story is for the name Type Du Nord. It's such a good name. Oh, so the name comes from 
my parents' sailboat that they have up on Lake Superior. And it's nothing like fancy or anything, but it's very special, very sentimental to me. And they've had it since I was really young. And the name of it is La Toit du Nord, which is actually the state slogan, I believe. And it means Star of the North for Minnesota. And I always loved the du Nord part the of the North. Because like we've mentioned, I'm a Midwesterner. is very special to me. Um, and there's a certain amount of grit and community and lots of special things that happen when you have to survive negative 40 degree winters. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I personally just identify with that. And I picked the name back in 2018. And names are something that I feel like you can flip-flop on a lot. Mm-hmm. Some days I love the name. Some days I hate the name. Most days I feel neutral. The logo that I started with was based off of the type that was on the back of the boat because most type that's put on, like sailboats specifically, is usually hand-painted. Like they'll hire a sign painter to do it or somebody's cousin or nephew or somebody will paint it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's always like quirky and fun. And the one on their boat specifically is just like a nice sands that's really quirky, but very special. That's really sweet. I understand all your conflicting feelings about naming. I feel like type designers in general have lots of conflicting feelings about naming things. And yeah, it's a big part of the job. <laughs> I was going to say, like, how long were you spending each week thinking of names for things? Or was that like not? I mean, this is such a silly question. <laughs> well, actually, I didn't struggle that often with the name because usually I could find the name in whatever the idea came from or the source came from or you know I could find some interesting word to pick there were probably like a handful of times though where (laughs) it would be like Friday morning and I'd text screenshots to a group text with some type designer friends and I'd be like what does this say to you I don't know what to name it (laughs) SOS help me (laughs) friends would always come through and I think that's helpful as well but yeah usually it would just be like the font that was based off of eggs was like the easiest one ever to name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love <laughs> um, and I think I actually, sometimes I asked for names on Instagram. I think that one I asked for names and then picked one just because it's like funny to see what other people would name it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, naming is very interesting. Yeah, that's a whole different part of the type design toolbox that no one really talks about. But you can't just give everything a working title at the end of the day. Exactly. But I actually like naming things. Like I've always liked naming playlists or Mm. whatever. I always get a kick out of finding an interesting name for something. And it's always fun. We can like create some tension too between like the name and the actual thing. Yeah. So I know Type Du Nord, the Instagram, very active and full. As a designer, I'm just always asking my design friends this how are you feeling about Instagram these days? Is it net positive for you to keep you accountable? I'm curious your relationship with it and with Type 2 Nord specifically. I struggle with Instagram because besides all the complaints about people not wanting to make videos and all of that, which I totally resonate with, I'm not naturally a person that likes to talk about myself or share anything because I'm always just like, who am I to try to grab your attention? Like that feels yucky. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's like... <laughs> In order for, like, Typed in order to have meaning, it can't just exist in a vacuum. It can't just exist on my laptop. So I would try to post every Friday. I wouldn't put that much pressure on myself to post, like, every week. But I'd also try to, like, post sketches if I could or whatever just to get people excited for whatever's coming. Mm -hmm. But I struggle with it because, for example, with the newsletter, I get to explain my whole thought process. I get to be silly and get to have fun. 
Whereas Instagram is just such a quick little distilled version of what you're doing. Yeah. And that part always is hard for me because I don't like making content for the sake of content, even though that's what you have to do. It's like to run a business these days, you also have to be a content creator. Yeah. And that's just like not fun. Yeah. But it is part of it. And so I I try to still keep up like a weekly cadence at least. I wouldn't say I'm always good at it, but Mm -hmm. the Instagram has been growing a little bit. And so I do see positive effects of that. Like people find the Instagram and then they find the newsletter and can follow along. Yeah. So I don't mind that. And I do like that people can comment and interact with things a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I find that to be really helpful. Yeah. But yeah, my my relationship with Instagram is really turbulent. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. I feel like a lot of us are there and... Like every so often, I'm like, when are we going to create a better platform for artists and creators where it's like just a little safe space without ads for shoe racks coming in and <laughs> stuff like that, you know? I know. I know. Oh. And then, yeah, it's just I struggle. But I think most people do. And it's not really built for creative people. It's like built yeah. for making money. And that is difficult to deal with. <laughs> Yeah, well, no, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts. Yeah, sorry to be a huge bummer about no, Instagram. No, <laughs> I just, sometimes I just overthink the whole Instagram thing. And I'm like, what is someone else thinking about? And I feel very mm-hmm. similar. It's like double-sided coin. Like there's really, really great possible. Like I have friends that I've met on Instagram because we just keep on, yeah. you know, interacting. And then there's like, mm-hmm. oh gosh, I feel like a speck of dust in a great universe of people <laughs> posting on here. So... Yeah. I get it. When I still like, I st- even even hating it and not loving it or what, I mean, I don't truly hate it, but like not loving it, it doesn't really matter. I still use it yeah. every day. Yeah. I'm still on it. Like yeah. I can complain about it all I want. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still showing up there. So <sighs> I feel you. Yeah. I feel you. <laughs> all right. Moving on from the socials. Obviously, you have to have a good technical tool to make a font every week for mm-hmm. a year. I have no doubt that that is something you have grown and is very impressive. I think if anyone looks at the Typing Nord Instagram that we were just talking about, they're pretty amazed. It's incredible. But oh, thank you. <laughs> what is a core non technical skill that you think designers need? Whether that's a type designer or a graphic designer, they don't teach in school. I think the most valuable skill that you need that's a non-technical skill is probably, and I feel like this is a boring answer, but for me it's communication because I really didn't prioritize learning how to communicate like my ideas or my thoughts or even simply like learning how to write concisely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't prioritize that like when I was in school and when I was still in a good place to be learning about that stuff. But then you realize even in a graphic design career, it's like you need to be able to articulate your ideas and your thoughts and sometimes advocate for yourself. And then also as well, communicate visually is also really important. And so I would just say communication as a whole. And obviously like that's self-serving as a type designer, like I'm designing ways to communicate, but... (laughs) But it's true because even conveying personality is difficult in writing and in speaking. And I thought when I was in college, I wouldn't have to present things very often. I thought that was going to be a rare thing. It's not. It happens all the time. Yep. Yep. (laughs) And you never really get comfortable with it, but you just do it. (laughs) 
Yeah. So I would say communication. I always knew that I would have to do it from like a design perspective, but quite literally communicating your ideas is more challenging sometimes. It's still the thing that I feel like I want to grow the most in as a designer. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people feel that way too. I seen incredible designers with like decades of experience still, you know, having to rehearse before they say their ideas out loud. I feel like us designers are talking to ourselves in our heads constantly while we're looking at things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to actually articulate that concisely is is an amazing skill. Difficult. I'm still working on it. (laughs) (laughs) I think we all are. Many, many years later, I'm still working on it. (laughs) You force yourself to write a newsletter every week. Do you feel like that made a difference? Yes, but it also, it made me realize that writing and communication is just another art form and that I didn't really put a lot of value on that before I started. And I, of course, don't, I don't write like I'm some like literary novelist, whatever, and I don't want to. And I think just like accepting how you best communicate and how it it doesn't necessarily have to be polished and professional. You just need people to understand you. Yeah. (laughs) So that was difficult at first because I was like really stressed about typos or where to put commas in the beginning. And now I'm just kind of like rambly, rambly, and then I edit (laughs) and I send it out. Yeah. So it was a struggle at first because writing, I didn't, I don't have any kind of background in writing. It just was necessary. And now I actually really love it. Writing the email is really fun. It's a lot more personally satisfying than like Instagram, let's say. <laughs> yeah. I also felt similarly after college. I had to reteach myself how to write in a way that felt natural, which is nuts. Yeah. I'm not trying to like cite sources or be overly educational. I just want people to get what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and have it sound like it's coming from you, not like some AI robot. Yeah. I feel you. Last question. Then you're off the hook. Who's a person working right now in the letter form world that you admire? This is an impossible question. I'm going to go with my cop-out answer, which is still a good answer, but I really love and consistently love and I'm amazed by the students that come out of the Type West program because there's just like a younger generation of type designers who have a fresh perspective and I was just visiting the Type West class, the in-person one in San Francisco yesterday, and watched their like end of term two presentations. And I'm just like blown away by how excited they all are and how interesting some of the concepts are and the perspectives. And it's all amazing. And even like the faculty that's involved in that program is incredible, both in person and online, because I can't possibly pick one person. I just feel like there's too much cool stuff happening right now. That's totally fine. I mean, we get a lot of Type West love on this podcast, so I yeah. think <laughs> it's totally fair. And, you know, we I think the last person I interviewed before summer break was Juan, so um, we're very... Oh, I know. He, yeah. Yeah. He's definitely one of them. Yeah. He's so cool. Incredible. And I think he gave shout outs to, like, all the faculty, so no worries. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, the co-instructors, the TAs, yeah. the main instructors, they're all wonderful. I admire all of them. Wait, this is just like a side question. When I was stalking your Instagram before this, mm-hmm. there was an animation done by Lynn. Is that correct? Or one of your fonts? N- well, no, she didn't do it, but she let me use one of her templates. Oh. So she has this, I don't even know how to explain it because I'm really not into coding or anything, but I know some like web coding. Mm-hmm. I was asking her how she animates her variable fonts because she always, for a crazy um, space type co, mm-hmm. yeah, they always have the coolest. 
And I was like, that must be so much work. Because in my head, I'm thinking they're doing it in like After Effects or something. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, no, you just do it with this HTML code. And she's like, sent me all this stuff. And I was like, oh, my God, do you care if I mess around with it? And she was so generous with her knowledge. I credited her because it was her coding and her and her partner's coding, but not mine. <laughs> but <laughs> oh, the yeah. animation was really fun and super fun to mess around with. I didn't really realize you could animate variable fonts simply with some like web code yeah like some css crazy i know i'm always blown away when i see that kind of stuff (laughs) what this is also what's happening in the type world Mm -hmm. (laughs) when i like just turn a little bit to the left like i've seen this whole other corner (laughs) wild i know there's some crazy smart people involved it's so wild i know i love to see like worlds colliding of type people in different places doing different things joining forces to make everyone's work exciting Yeah, she was co-teaching part of the online program at that time. And so I had some time to pick her brain. Nice. And I was like, can you just share some things with me? Nice. (laughs) I love your work. Oh my gosh. No, that's amazing. And I'm sure one day I'll be talking to someone. They're like, do you know like Libby Bischoff? Like her stuff's great. I'll be like, yes, I do. (laughs) We talked. It was amazing. (laughs) It was such a good time. No, no. Again, just like nobody look. I'm not (laughs) doing anything. Don't worry about it. (laughs) I'm so excited we had this conversation. And I can't wait to see what else comes out of Type 2 Nord. Thank you. And all the fonts that are going to be coming out in some weird way, unconventional. Ooh, yeah. I don't know. I'm still kind of pondering the whole situation. I think I need to chat with some people who have done it yeah. and what their experiences were because there's a lot. It's a lot of things we could that could happen. Yeah. I can't <laughs> wait. And I mean, if people want to check out your work, where can mm-hmm. they follow you? What are your socials? What's your links? <laughs> Give me it all. On Instagram, I'm at type Dunord, and Dunord is spelled D-U-N-O-R-D. And you can get updates on my Substack, which is typedunord.substack.com. That is where I share all my fun stuff, and whenever fonts are released or the website opens, for example, it will all come through there. And then eventually, typedunord.com will be a thing. Woo! <laughs> yeah. And you have a zine in case anyone wants to see a little recap. Yes, there is a digital zine out. You can find it on my Substack. I believe it's like one of the most recent posts on there, but it's on my Gumroad for now. And I think I do still have some physical copies. So if anybody is really dying for one, send me a message. We can work something out. We love a physical copy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely amazing. I have the digital copy. It's, it's great too. So <laughs> easily accessible within seconds. Instant gratification. Incredible. (laughs) All right, Livia. Thank you so much for coming on. It was an absolute pleasure getting to chat for the past hour or so. Thank you so much for having me. It's so fun to actually meet you and chat with you. I've been listening and hearing your voice for so long. Oh my gosh. It's so cool. Stop. Oh, stop. Oh, stop. We'll just keep on going. No, you're the coolest. No, you're the coolest. (laughs) It's perfect. Thank you again.